Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I don't have to tell you, there are some great traditions around Georgia football, whether it be Ugga, the best mascot in all of college athletics. There's the dog walk, there's the silver britches, there's the ringing of the chapel bell after victories, and if we polled 100 Georgia fans and said, hey, what's your favorite tradition connected to the Georgia program, you'd get so many different answers, and that's one of the reasons why we love of college sports because it provides those kinds of things. However, there is a tradition that is probably more relevant for this show than others. It's kind of an unofficial tradition, but it's one that Georgia fans very much enjoy participating in. It's the tradition of immediately following up a big recruiting win with an obvious question of, okay, who's next? That's the kind of unofficial tradition that sort of defines what we do for a living here and what many Georgia fans, the way they talk about this program on a daily basis. Yes, yesterday, Georgia got some very good news, and I was happy to be with you and be a part of that when four-star running back Branson Robinson made his college pledge to the University of Georgia. There is so much to like about Robinson in the fact that on the field, he just looks like a spectacular player. The in, in beautiful graphic, by the way, if you're watching on video, the, our Dog Nation team is put together to celebrate the moment so you love Robinson as a player when you see him just standing still I mean he makes a t-shirt look a lot better than I'm capable of doing if you get my drift on that it just seems to fall in all the right places very very impressive physique uh uncommon maturity the demeanor you know he almost looks like he'd be the guy driving the bus for the team to go play a game on Friday nights he seems like he should be taking a recruit around on visits as opposed to uh you know going around on visits he's you know the kind of maturity that almost makes it seem like he gotta have a pension or something like that just a very impressive dude all the way around there's a lot to like about Branson Robinson and you know all kidding aside you know kind of what it leads you to is to ask the question that for a Georgia program that admittedly has not really had a lot of recruiting moment in the summer a lot of these recruiting battles that Georgia fans are used to seeing their team be a big part of really have kind of come and gone without much of a whimper one way or another when it comes to a Georgia, the Tyler Booker and the Dalen Everett and the Keon Sab. And, you know, you can think about some of those names where, you know, they make their announcement and Georgia was kind of in the mix, but not really in the mix. And that's not what Georgia fans have come to expect here. And so there's this enthusiasm of, well, for a program that's gotten very used to recruiting at an elite level, when's all that going to change? And obviously the Branson Robinson news could potentially be the start of that. On the one hand, you think it has the potential for momentum for Georgia because Robinson's that kind of player who wouldn't want to play with a dude like that. But on the other hand, just to be you know completely honest here, the Robinson news itself was one of the worst kept secrets in all of college football recruiting. I don't know that there were very many Georgia fans that were floored by the news yesterday. This was as expected and and, and most of us that have been following this pretty closely have been kind of noticing that ourselves. So you'll celebrate the Robinson news and then it is just natural human nature to say, okay, when's the next big news going to come? What are the next big things that we should be watching and paying attention, you know, paying attention to and looking for in the weeks and months to come? So I've tried to do my part to kind of chronicle all of this and put all this together in terms of where my mindset is for the coming days. And I made a couple of lists here. I want to read these lists off to you. And actually, 
I mean, this is just my opinion, and I just so happens that I'm the guy that sits, you know, at this desk with the microphone. Your opinion matters on this too. But I've come up with a couple of lists that I think are probably at least worthy of some consideration for us on the heels of Branson Robinson making the announcement of the made uh, yesterday. So let me start with this list. Here are a few names that I'm kind of calling my top names to know for the class of 2022. Now, I want to be very clear about something as I go through this list with you. These are not necessarily the best recruits that George is targeting or maybe even necessarily the most important recruits that George is targeting. Here is the reason why I've targeted these specific names as my names to know in this moment of the 2022 recruiting cycle. I, I would never, ever, ever talk politics with you on this show, but I am fascinated by um, by politics, and it's one of those things that I enjoy following. And one of the things about politics I am kind of fascinated by is the idea that certain states for presidential elections and things like that are what they call bellwether states. In other words, the person that wins this state, it can be fairly easily predicted, will also do well nationally because that's what those states just have a tendency of history to do. Like Missouri for a long time was one of those. Honestly, don't know if it still is or not. But for a long time, whoever won Missouri had a tendency to actually go on and win the presidential election. Not the biggest state, not the most important state, but a fairly predictive state. And I think the same thing is kind of true for some of these names here. These, in some cases, they are the biggest of the big names, not necessarily all of the, them. And it's, it's in, in the size, the stature of the recruit is not the reason they're on this list. I just think in their own way, these recruitments are fairly interesting bellwethers for the health of Georgia as a recruiting power as it approaches the crucial moments in the 2022 class. Let me give you these names here for a moment. Obviously, a couple of these are defensive tackles, and a couple of these are five stars, Walter Nolan and Travis Shaw. And I'm reminded of something that Jeff Sintel said on this show a couple of weeks ago. In the aftermath of a lot that's gone on with Georgia now clearly zeroing in on Nolan and Shaw that you know Jeff was fairly honest when you think about guys like Christian Miller who were seemingly trending away from Georgia right now Mikael Williams who's committed to USC Bear Alexander who's decommitted from Georgia a lot of folks think he's now squarely on the radar for Texas A&M that the actual truth of Georgia's defensive line recruiting is what was, you know, at one point in time, this long list of elite prospects, and it was simply a matter of how many of them are, are Georgia going to get. I mean, honesty compels you to admit here for a moment that it's kind of winnowed down now to there are a couple of big names still out there. Nolan, who's as big a name as any. Shaw, who's very impressive in his own right, and a good friend of UG commit, linebacker commit, Jalen Walker. All of a sudden now, it's simply looking at Shaw and Nolan to say, does Georgia get one of these big names? Does Georgia actually do that? And the Nolan recruitment's kind of gone in a bunch of different directions. It seems like Georgia is in the mix for this as much as anybody could be. Maybe the same thing's true for Shaw there as well. Obviously, there's a huge push from the in-state school, South uh, North Carolina. I did notice this. I was uh, reading about Shaw the other day, and this is kind of amazing to me, that I guess in the history of North Carolina football, since like recruiting ratings have been a thing, North Carolina has only signed five you know, consensus five-star prospects over the course of that time. Two of those five have actually come under Mac Brown, which is kind of, you know, pretty amazing. And obviously more of those in the mix here for the class of 2022. So for years in a show like this, we would not have mentioned North Carolina as a recruiting threat uh, to UGA. But now with multiple prospects this year, we've kind of done that. I think that's kind of interesting. Let me see that list one more time and I'll go through a couple of these others. Another name to mention here is five-star safety, Kamari Wilson. This is a guy that Georgia at one point in time seemingly was deeply in the mix for. For those of you that pay attention to the online chatter, it seems like some of that talk has lessened a bit lately, and who knows if that's true? Who knows if this is just the natural EKG of the ups and downs of the recruiting trail? But 
on the heels of Georgia not getting either Keon Sab or Dalen Everett the other day, or you know, if you want to add Tyler Booker to this there as well, Georgia's typically done very well at IMG Academy, and you know, lately some of those IMG guys have been going somewhere else. That's one of those reasons why I think moving forward, Wilson is going to be one of those bellwether names to pay attention to. And then finally, a couple of names on the offensive side of the ball. Four-star wide receiver Andre Green Jr. Now, Green has taken a bunch of visits. Georgia is one of those. Our Dog Nation recruiting insider Jeff Sintel has reported that I guess Green is expected to – I think his last release was like a top 15 or was like a double digits, whatever it is. He's expected to kind of, you know, uh, get down to a top six at some point in time, maybe before the end of this month and maybe sometime in the fall, he might make his commitment decision. But for Georgia, who, you know, you got to have those elite wide receivers coming into this program and, you know, on the heels of Kojo Antwi going elsewhere and some of the other things that have happened, you know, Green kind of becomes a big name to circle and a big name to watch here moving forward. That's a top 100 recruit. That's a big time wide receiver prospect. That's a guy that Georgia, I think, desperately needs. And as you head towards the end of the summer with him you know, shortening his list of finalists, eventually making a decision some point in time there in the fall, I think Green is a big uh, kind of bellwether to pay attention to for Georgia. And then finally, I'll mention an in-state name here. That's the four-star tied in Oscar Delp. And the Delp thing is interesting because it seems like his connection with Georgia is about as deep and strong and good as as it can be. Uh, obviously, he said some great things about the way in which Georgia has connected with his family. But, you know, you saw Shane Beamer at SEC Media Days this week take to that podium and make a big show of throwing to the tight ends and using some coded language that most people thought was a direct message to Delp without mentioning him by name. It was also funny to see Eli Drinkwitz, the Missouri coach, kind of mocked that a little bit, saying when he was at the podium yesterday, and I told you Drinkwitz got a pretty good personality. He was saying that I'm glad that Shane Beamer is so open about how much he wants to throw the tight ends. Drinkwitz said, we'll be sure to be ready for that. Drinkwitz also had some good stuff at Dan Mullen uh, that I'm sure we'll probably get into in the days to come there as well. So it's still a lot to unpack from SEC media days but the point is is that Oscar Delp's a big name it's a battle that Georgia's waging against one of its SEC rivals South Carolina here and South Carolina's trying to make this a real thing and obviously Georgia doing its part to kind of hold off on all of that so as those recruitments go I think it gives you a fairly decent prediction and maybe projection the better word for how the rest of the 2022 cycle is going to play out then very quickly just for a moment if those are like realistic legitimate names that you can cite tangible reasons why George is deeply connected to let me give you a few more that are maybe not quite as deeply rooted but still realistic enough to at least mention here for a moment these are not the top names no these aren't bellwether names for Georgia necessarily these are just guys you sort of have on the radar here a little bit I've got five-star wide receiver Luther Burden he's at least visited Georgia you're interested to see if anything comes of that beyond that the five-star defensive lineman Shamar Stewart that's a name that you see connected to Georgia from time to time you know in some online chatter I'd like to see that grow a little bit more that's at least worth paying attention to at this point in time I think the four-star edge and I white's probably a little bit of a pipe dream there doesn't seem to be much of a Georgia connection there but but you know maybe just somehow some way Georgia kind of slides back into that before it's all said and done those are some of those guys that are maybe stretch goals a bit but at least worth paying attention to so those are to me the kind of names that are out there right now Georgia clearly involved with a lot of the big recruits in college football and now hoping to use some good news from Branson Robinson yesterday to get the ball rolling for a lot more good news in the weeks and months to come 
My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Kroger, and glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, all kinds of video platforms. I tell you what's going great. So many of you have really responded to the show being live on the page at dognation.com every single day. That's awesome to be able to see, and I'm glad to be able to, it's like the simplest thing to tell you to do, right? You, know, you don't have to go to somebody else's platform that you know some you know big tech billionaire owns. I can just tell you, go to dognation.com, and you can check out the show for yourself right there it's super convenient uh it's right there at the top of the page it's great stuff but we're still there for you on facebook and youtube and twitter and twitch and everything else of course podcast platforms all over the place there as well and uh of course on the radio with our friends in athens every single day on athens sports radio 960 the ref great to have you there in the classic city and a huge thanks to our friends at kroger for making it all possible you know Kroger's got you in mind as you get ready for back to school, and I want you to have Kroger on your mind as you get ready to do that there as well. A-plus deals, whether it's the stuff that you got to put in the lunchbox, you can actually buy your lunchbox from there, all the school supplies, I'm talking about paper and crayons, all that kind of stuff. My family, we haven't bought our school supplies as of yet, but it's getting very close to time to do that. Uh, Obviously, you know, the start of school is kind of on the way here, so... We're looking forward to doing all of that, and you can check out your local Kroger uh, for that. If you go to the website, Kroger.com slash school, Kroger.com slash school, you can find out a lot more about that today. All right, it is a Friday, which normally means on the road, assisted by AAA with Jeff Centel. Today, Jeff not going to be with us. He's still on vacation. Jeff will be back next week, including you know stuff on the pages of dognation.com at the beginning of the week and of course we'll talk to jeff here on our show next friday we'll get connor riley though coming up in just a moment before that i want to go around the doghouse delivered today by our friends at marco's pizza and it is so much fun to have marco's pizza back here on dog nation daily once again and uh bringing around the doghouse to us again uh once again today so welcome back marco's pizza good stuff all the way there and I kind of want to update for a moment on the latest on the possibility of SEC expansion, the potential addition of Oklahoma and Texas into the mix here for this league. Yesterday was kind of an important day in this regard. There was a meeting of key Big 12 decision makers, and obviously all the league schools were invited to be a part of it. Texas and Oklahoma were not on that call, though. So that further indicates the reality that – while it's not a given or a guarantee that either Texas or Oklahoma is coming to the SEC, as the news has been reported to this point, it is all very real. This is this is happening right now. What is the end result of all this? To be determined. But this is not something that somebody made up out of thin air. Uh, right now, Texas and Oklahoma are very much considering all of their options. There was a report from Andy Staples at The Athletic yesterday that one of those options might be actually sticking around in the Big 12 until what they call their grant of rights agreement. This is essentially a TV deal for for you know lack of a better phrase, sticking around until 2025 until all that expires if they have to. That's what they would do, which obviously creates a really weird lame duck status, but that's how deep these discussions have come. There's also been other reports that they are Oklahoma and Texas about to make it be known officially that they plan on you know exploring other options and leaving the big 12 uh ross dellinger from sports illustrated has indicated that the acc could also be a potential landing spot for texas he did not mention oklahoma in his reporting but it's at least been kicked around that that the acc could be a landing spot here so there's still a lot of movement that's going to be ongoing you've also seen the texas politics start to get cranked up here and everyone knew this was coming you've seen what uh, you know, uh, like Texas Tech Chancellor, you've seen uh, elected officials with ties to Texas Tech kind of speaking out over this. Remember, 
legislative bodies, and this is true in Georgia as well, really true in all 50 states, legislative bodies have a lot of oversight and power over the university system. That this is not one of those things where whether you think the politicians should be getting involved or not, this is not one of those things where they're kind of elbowing their way in on something that you know they don't necessarily have any say over. When it comes to the activities of what goes on in a state university, the legislature has a pretty big say in all of that. So this is power that at least has to be considered. And yet ultimately, is it enough to actually slow all of this down? The one dog that's not barking at all of this right now, though, is anyone else other than Texas A&M stepping up to say, that we don't want Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC. If I, I've kind of openly speculated, although this is just speculation for me, I've kind of openly speculated if someone else was going to join Texas A&M, my thought is they might would have done that publicly by now, even if it's like an anonymous source type thing or whatever else, that somebody somewhere might express some doubts or reservations on this, and it just doesn't seem like anybody wants to do it. Obviously, when A&M was added and Missouri in 2012 were added to the league, there were some thoughts that some of the westernmost teams, the Mississippi schools, LSU, whatever else, might vote against it. Ultimately, they ended up not doing that because they decided that the that the additional money was worth whatever – you know, uh, competitive challenges were brought into the SEC West because of that or recruiting challenges because of the the extension of the SEC in that kind of westward direction there. So maybe that's the case. It was also interesting, and I mentioned Ross Dellinger before, he also tweeted out something yesterday, a graphic that was kind of thrown up on the SEC network during, I think this was the the morning show they've been doing for SEC Media Days with Peter Burns and Chris Doring. And this is just, this is not an official thing. It looks official because it's got the SEC logo on it. But this is just like, for for conversation's sake, here's what the four pods might look like if you broke the 16 SEC teams into four divisions. And if you're watching a video, you can see that theoretically speaking, not a real thing, this is just theoretically speaking, uh, Georgia could be in a pod with Florida, Kentucky, and South Carolina. You'd play they're suggesting those three teams each and every year two team two games against they say theoretically hypothetically speaking against uh, teams from the other pods and then you could eventually play the entirety of the sec over a four four year stretch and so that's just kind of the hypothetical that's being kicked around here that is not a real thing that's just you know kind of for conversation's sake what could happen but the reason why i show that to you is this here's the one thing from a georgia fan standpoint that you got to acknowledge with this you can be for it I've heard from some Georgia fans who clearly are. They like the idea of the SEC getting big like this. You can be against it. I would probably be more in that category of, man, this starts to make the SEC feel a little different than the SEC I've loved for a really long time. So for it, against it, there's arguments being made on both sides. But one thing you have to acknowledge, if this goes down, the way in which the Georgia fan experiences college football for here moving forward is going to be very, very different. One way or another, that Georgia schedule each and every year, completely different. The feeling of the league, completely different. It, a Georgia fan will feel the effects of this. A Georgia fan will notice every single year for the rest of his or her life, uh, they will notice the differences in the SEC if Texas and Oklahoma move into this league. So this is the kind of thing that Georgia fans, I think, are paying close attention to and will be paying very close attention to in the time to come. We'll make that around the doghouse uh, presented today by our friends at Marco's Pizza. And as I said before, I love the fact that Marco's Pizza is now back part of this show again because when you think about that great Marco's Pizza, that melty cheese, I'm talking about three different cheeses together, melty, uh, looking so good there 
there on the uh, pizza. Uh, old world pepperoni, all the great stuff that makes Marco's Pizza uh, so famous. This is the uh, thing that I love telling you about here on Dog Nation Daily. And I'm also always really excited about telling you about those great deals when it comes to Marco's Pizza there as well, including right now a large one-topping pizza. How about this great savings? For a family like mine, this really matters. Just $9.99 uh, for that right now. So please make sure you check that out. You can go online, marcos.com, or on the Marcos app there as well. Marcos, pizza lovers, get it, and you can get it for yourself here this weekend as we uh, head towards a great weekend with some great pizza and some great savings from our friends there at Marcos Pizza. All right, before we are done on today's show, one of the things that we're going to talk about It's about time for me to make my official predictions for the SEC for the upcoming season. So we will do that. Uh, Order of finishing the SEC East, the SEC West. Also, I think Georgia fans should pay attention to a certain story around Nick Saban and the way in which it's getting covered. And I think if you're a UGA fan paying close attention to this, there is a lot not to like about it. And we're going to call it out before the show is done today. Also, two funny golden shoes. So we got a lot to do. Uh, It's all on the way. But for now, on everything related to the current state of Georgia recruiting, where things stand with SEC expansion, and what else happened at SEC Media Days this week, let's get ready to do it all with our buddy Connor Riley right now here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insight. Always a lot going on around Dog Nation right now, no different. Recruiting, preparations for the upcoming season, the earth moving underneath us in ways that could have never been predicted as recently as 24, 48 hours ago. Uh, it, it's a busy time around here, and I'm happy to have Dog Nation's Connor Riley on to discuss it all. Connor, uh, good job there in Hoover, Alabama this week. Happy to have you back on the program right now. I do want to begin recruiting-wise, though. I kind of talked in my own right about what I thought was kind of on the horizon for Georgia recruiting on the heels of Branson Robinson committing yesterday. I want to hear from you on that topic as well. But I guess before we get to that, though, just kind of give me your thumbnail on Robinson as a player. What do you think Georgia's getting in what we can all with our own eyes tell is a very special-looking running back? Another really good running back. Uh, Georgia has had no issues recruiting this position since Del McGee has come in, and he's continued to sign excellent running backs. And I expect Branson Robinson to be just that. You hear some of the player comp plans. A really popular one is Nick Chubb. I think Chubb's a little bit taller and runs a little bit differently than Branson Robinson does. But this kid is already yoked out of his mind and is going to be an SEC player for Georgia. So to land a top 50 player, one of the best running backs in the country, wow. Not everything is exactly rosy for Georgia on the recruiting trail right now. It is nice to know that they can still go out and land one of the top running backs in America. Some of the photos we have of Roberts, and I joked about this during the video show we did yesterday when he committed. It almost looks like one of those ludicrous Photoshop-type pictures where you have this, like, you know, cartoonish physique with a face kind of, you know, position on the physique. I mean, it almost seems impossible that a high school player could already look like that in a T-shirt. I mean, and to think what could happen for someone like that when they get into a college strength and conditioning program, it really just kind of boggles the mind all the way around. I mean, if you want to create the look of what a Georgia running back is supposed to be, it'd be hard to generate that in in a way that's more impressive than what Robinson kind of already has going for him. Yeah, I think he's a player where you expect Samir White and James Cook to be off to the NFL after this year, and Georgia's going to have a little bit of a vacuum there running back, and I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest to see Branson get some carries early on next year if he continues to play and look like he has as a high school prospect. I think Georgia has presented a great opportunity for him. That's why Georgia's taking two running backs 
in this cycle, and they got a very good one in Robinson. I talked about some of what I view as kind of the bellwether recruits for Georgia going forward. I mentioned Andre Green because it's a position of needed wide receiver. I mentioned guys like Travis Shaw and Walter Nolan because they are kind of what's left when at one point in time a very deep list of defensive tackles, and all of a sudden some of those guys are seemingly going elsewhere. Shaw and Nolan, I think, get more important because of that. I'll mention Oscar Delp because of the in-state nature of that recruitment and the fact that South Carolina is trying to do everything it can uh, to, to get his attention. I talked about Kamari Wilson because we typically think of Georgia doing very well at IMG Academy and some of those guys have been going elsewhere I mean who do you view as some of the real I'll use the same phrase I used a moment ago bellwether recruits moving forward in terms of measuring the the health of Georgia's recruiting prowess here as it continues to march through the 2022 cycle I mean it, it probably starts with with uh Shaw and Nolan but I wonder too if you, you mentioned a guy like a Mikhail Williams there a defensive end is currently committed to USC or a defensive lineman committed to USC. Georgia's going to have to, in my opinion, if they're going to build the class that I think a lot of people expect them to end up building a top three class, they're going to have to flip back some of these prospects that are currently committed elsewhere, and that's going to be difficult. Not impossible. We saw it happen in the 2018 cycle. They did it with Brent Cox. They did it with Cade Mays. I mentioned Justin Fields there as well. So Georgia's going to have to win some of the recruiting battles with guys that are already committed elsewhere because – a lot of their top targets in the months of June and July came off the board, and you have to use this upcoming season to sort of show that, hey, this Georgia program is a, a, a team that can make a playoff more often than, say, a Washington, a Michigan State, a Florida State, because while Georgia is a better program than those three programs right now, they all have the same number of playoff appearances. And I think recruits are wary to the fact now that, we need to see Georgia get into the playoff on multiple occasions. I think you're making a lot of sense there, and I like the idea of kind of targeting some of those flips moving forward. I think that's kind of interesting. One more thing on the recruiting part of this, though. I also mentioned some maybe some stretch goals a little bit, guys that have been loosely connected with Georgia, but I'm not quite so sure you know yet how substantive it is. Think about a Luther Burden, a receiver here for a moment, maybe Shamar Stewart or, a, or an Anai White, who you know I would say maybe a little bit more of a pipe dream here at this moment. Who is someone kind of of that variety that's maybe a little bit of an ambitious goal right now that you think could eventually be more connected to Georgia than maybe we're currently considering, if anyone? I, I, I think we'll get a real clear answer on that after this coming week. Uh, there's a sort of last weekend in July visit, a big cookout, and I think White is a guy I'll be interested to see where he goes. Obviously, he's very connected to Ohio State, Texas A&M has been mentioned there as well. But I think if, if Georgia's able to get him on campus this weekend and then maybe get him on campus again for a game, I think that could be a very good sign for where they stand with him. So edge rushers, as we talked about on Cover 4 last night, edge rushers is a place where Georgia's really struggled recruiting in this cycle, and they actually need some guys there because we talked about uh, Xavier Sori and Shamal Munden. You might want to play them at inside linebacker, but if the way things are going, you, your hand might be forced and have to play them as Sams and Jackson, this outside linebacker position for Georgia. So White is probably the guy that I am most interested at this point in time. So I want to talk to you now about the conference expansion topic, and I want to try to be very, very honest about this. One of the things that makes me nervous sometimes is this idea that the only thing that's good about college football is the way that things used to be. And I don't want to be like, as Terrence Edwards sometimes says, the old man on the porch who's arguing against any kind of evolution for the sport, because sometimes – you know, progress is good. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called progress. But when it comes to this potential SEC expansion, adding an Oklahoma, adding a Texas, Connor, there's one thing I can't quite get over related to all of this, and I'm curious if you're noticing the same thing. While adding these two schools would unquestionably make the SEC bigger, 
doesn't it sort of feel like it makes college football smaller? I mean, doesn't it feel like we're eliminating a, a huge swath of what's made this a national sport? Because a Big 12 minus Texas and Oklahoma, for me, is really indistinguishable from the American Athletic Conference. It's, it's become, instead of a group of five, now you have a group of six. Instead of a power five, it seems like now you have a power four. And maybe the average Georgia fan doesn't care about that. But it always makes me a little nervous when we make moves that make a few people richer, but the sport overall a little smaller because I do think you need kind of a, a healthy balance to kind of maintain college football as what it's been. And that's the thing I can't quite shake with all of this is, boy, the end result of all of this feels like a sport college football that just has a little smaller footprint when it's all said and done. Do you see it the same way at all? I mean, this is SEC exceptionalism at its worst. The SEC wants to be the best league in college football. They want to be the dominant power. They want to be the biggest seat at the table. And sort of like Galactus in the Marvel Cinematic Era, not yet Cinematic Universe, but they're just going to swallow up anything and everything they can and continue to make themselves into the biggest property in college sports. Texas and Oklahoma represent that. And so for years, while people have been making jokes and cracking jokes about the Pac-12 not being relevant, but the Big 12 not being relevant in the national conversation, that's pretty clearly worn on Texas and Oklahoma, and they want to say, hey, let's go get a seat at the SEC table, let's get a giant slice of cash and a big pile of money, and let's go and join their conference. And so the SEC is going to continue to do this, and it, I, ultimately for the national perception of college football, it's going to be worse because now it's only going to become more and more regionalized. And outside of you know an Ohio State and the Big Ten and a Clemson and the ACC, you're sort of starting to wonder – Okay, well, is it just college football or is it just SEC football that we're talking about on a week-in, week-out basis? So I am I'm, I can personally say I'm not a fan of this. Uh, I think college football needs to be a national sport, and adding Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC only furthers the regionalization of this sport. I mean, think about this for a moment. If you add Texas and Oklahoma, the SEC is now the size of the NFC or the AFC. I mean, those two divisions or conferences, I guess they call them, those two conferences have 16 teams. This will be the same size the SEC will be. And there's obviously very little in the way of AFC pride or NFC pride. There's just not enough connection between those teams to kind of feel that way. And I think the the same thing could potentially be true for the SEC. I've said before, as a, as a true fan in my lifetime I've been a ticket buying fan and I've openly cheered during games and I love SEC pride but if I'm a fan sitting in the stands I'm not doing the SEC SEC chant because Oklahoma wins some game against somebody or Texas wins some game uh, against somebody I simply don't feel that level of of kinship with them because of that so here's the thing that I'm concerned about is that as this moves forward and there may be very little way to stop this but as it moves forward you end up with an SEC that's clearly worth more than it used to be, but an SEC that means less than it once did. I, and, and that's the part that I can't quite get over when it comes to this. Yeah, again, I think SEC pride is sort of what's driven this. And ultimately, again, you're going to have a conference that is sort of unrecognizable. And, and we can go down some of the potential ramifications of this. I fully expect divisions to go away if they add Texas and Oklahoma. I just don't think it's tenable to have two eight-team divisions, especially because you'd almost certainly have to move Missouri to the West, and then which three teams do you move to the SEC East? Auburn and Alabama would be likely candidates there, but who is that extra team? So you're probably looking at pod scheduling, and if you go back and look at the SEC Network proposed pod scheduling system, look at some of the rivalry games that would go away under that system on an annual basis. No more Georgia-Auburn. No more um, 
Alabama LSU, no more Florida LSU, because in, in that sort of proposed setup that they had listed, they were not protecting interdivisional rivalries anymore. They were only protecting the games in your specific pod. So, again, this is just college football and college sports really forsaking tradition on all the things that make it special into just trying to be a cash grab and make the most money possible. And I'm a big I'm a big NFL fan, probably at this point a bigger NFL fan than college football because it's pretty clear and obvious now that these college administrators and college athletic programs don't care about tradition as much as the fans or the common people do, and they are willing to forsake all of that and blow it up just to get a few more dollars or a bigger piece of the pie. So let me ask you this. I want you to put your thinking hat on for a second and just give me hypotheticals that you can come up with. What stops this? Because Texas and Oklahoma are at least moving in that direction. They weren't a part of a Big 12 meeting yesterday. There's been some reporting they may be planning to notify the conference very soon that they truly are looking to get out there, whether they have to wait you know, until 2025 to do it or not. It seems like right now these wheels are turning. It's not a guarantee, though, that results in Sooners and Longhorns being in the SEC. So if this eventually doesn't happen, is it because somebody has enough political power to prevent it? Is it because another league steps in and offers Texas, for instance, a better deal? Because I have a hard time imagining the SEC would be willing to do anything more than make Texas one-sixteenth of this league. Other leagues may give them a sweeter pot than that. What prevents this from happening at this point? Nothing. I believe at this point it's an issue of when, not if. Uh, there's too much smoke around this. Now, the SEC needs 11 votes from its members to accept teams in an expansion, but I don't know if Texas A&M has the political power to get three more no votes out there. And just based off the reporting that I have seen and followed along with this, the question is when does this happen? Does it happen when the Big 12 contract expires at the end of the 2025 season? Does it happen when the SEC's new television contract starts in the 2024 season? Texas pretty clearly wants to be a member of the SEC, and Oklahoma does as well. And, you know, there's been reports from Kirk Bowles of the Austin American Statesman who's come out and said this has been in the works for the past six months, and Texas A&M was sort of deliberately kept in the dark on all of this. And so that leads me to believe that these two programs are already very far down the road with the SEC, and we're going to eventually see this. The question now is just at what point does that happen? That's a good note. By the way, I want to remind folks that Jeff Sintel will be back with us again next Friday. We'll do On the Road, assisted by AAA with him then. But in the meantime, check out AAA.com slash auto insurance to find out how you can switch and save with AAA and maybe put an extra $529 in your pocket. Make sure you check that out today. So, Connor, something kind of interesting has happened with uh, me over the last few days. You know, I've been at SEC Media Days. Obviously, I try to follow the event as closely as I can. But I've had at least two people who've mentioned to me, hey, B.A., did you hear about blah, 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 saying this at SEC Media Days? And my honest answer had to be, no, I actually didn't hear that. So much stuff happens simultaneously at an event like that because there are so many cameras and so many microphones. So I want to give you a chance to kind of sum up the week that was kind of a couple different ways here, both in terms of what you thought was maybe the most important thing for Georgia or the rest of the SEC, and maybe something that you thought that kind of flew under the radar that maybe the average person didn't actually notice. What stood out to you from this past week? I think the interesting thing to me was, and maybe this is my opinion on the coaches, but I thought, you know, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, you know, you can maybe throw Jimbo Fisher in there as well, at least two of the three best coaches in the conference. They both spoke about the importance of getting vaccinated and getting their teams not just above the current 85% threshold that they do, but getting them close to 100%. And then you hear coaches like Mike Leach and Brian Harson who sort of just throw their hands up at the vaccination process. I think, you know, 
we're gonna we're gonna see this season. I absolutely believe teams that take the vaccination process more seriously have greater success because you success. Look at the College World Series. NC State was a game away from playing in the fi- in the final, potentially winning there, and they lose their season because they didn't take the vaccination process seriously. So, and I get you know people want to politicize it and say it's a personal choice. That's your own decision to say that kind of stuff. But there's going to be a tangible, in my opinion, on field correlation to teams that have taken this more seriously compared to those that sort of lag behind on this. Interesting stuff. Connor, thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. We'll look forward to uh, speaking to you again soon. I know you'll have a lot to write there on the pages of dognation.com. And as I said before, we'll enjoy the chance to chat very soon. Yep. See you then. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, interesting stuff from Connor Riley looking about SEC Media Days and ahead to what could be a fascinating, fascinating uh, month's worth of chatter about SEC expansion. Whether you like it or not, it could very well be a runaway freight train here at this point in time. And obviously we'll be dealing with both intended and unintended consequences you know, from that for some time to come. And you know, I don't want to be a total hypocrite about this because – while generally speaking, I'm against it, the honest truth is every new story that pops up about it, I'm obviously gravitating towards it because it is fascinating. And Oklahoma and Texas are very recognizable brands, and you can't help but be interested in it, even if ultimately it's probably not my preference for the SEC. It is a, it is certainly interesting times in which we live. And of course, as you're getting ready to enjoy a great weekend, let me encourage you to Enjoy yourself some finished long drink there as well. You know, this is one of those things that just goes great with the weekend. I'm actually going to spend some time in the mountains here this weekend, and you better believe the finished long drink travels well for something like that, whether it's the long drink cranberry, the long drink strong, which is in the black cans, 8.5% alcohol by volume, the long drink long drink zero. Uh, you got the uh, the original, which is I, I actually love that. It's like the grapefruit flavor, citrus combined with that that gin uh, taste there as well. It's like a ready to drink cocktail right out of the can. It's one thing you got to remind yourself on this. It may look like a beer if you see someone holding it, but when you pop the top, you realize no, it's a ready to drink cocktail, like a mixed drink that you don't have to do any work for. Just simply drink it out of the can, you know, pour it into a glass, whatever you want to do. But it's a ready to drink cocktail right out of the can there very very convenient if you go to thelongdrink.com you can find out more about where you can find that near you because it's there whether it be one of the bars the beverage stores whatever else a lot of folks in the atlanta area and across the state of georgia enjoying it and you can do that for yourself find it online at thelongdrink.com all right i want to give you my official order of finish predictions for the sec here this year i'll run through these relatively quickly But I want to give you a little bit of thought here. I'll start at the bottom and work my way up. I want to start with the SEC East. The team that I think is the worst in this division, no surprise, I believe, is Vanderbilt. However, here's what I think has got to be noted here. While Vanderbilt is terrible, and really at this point in time, a blight on the league, a total embarrassment, I don't think the gap between Vanderbilt at the very bottom and Tennessee, one spot above at sixth, I don't think that's very different right now. I think this is a very problematic year for Tennessee. I think that Josh Heupel seems smaller than this job at the moment. And while he's tasked with making Vols football fun again and scoring some points and at least being entertaining, as they may take some losses here and there and probably everywhere, I just don't quite know if there's any, even if you downgrade the definition of success for Tennessee, I don't quite know if there's if there's much of a way to you know, for, for Tennessee to handle this really at all. I think this is an awful year for the Vols. I do have South Carolina with its new coach, Shane Beamer, rated ahead of Tennessee. I have them fifth. The fact of the matter is Will Muschamp left some talent there in South Carolina. They're, they have 
a good collection of defensive linemen. Think about Jordan Birch and Zach Pickens and you know guys like that are still there. They're going to run the ball really well this year. Marshawn Lloyd, for instance, back from injury. They actually ran it pretty well last year. I think South Carolina is clearly above teams like Tennessee and Vanderbilt. Not, though, as good probably as Kentucky, who I have fourth. Uh, Kentucky, also a team that probably runs the ball pretty well. Chris Rodriguez, one of those names that's getting a lot of offseason chatter. The Kentucky offensive line was already pretty good. Then Dare Rosenthal from LSU transferred in. Defensively, Mark Stoops' team at least pretty good there. This is one of those teams that's established a physical brand for itself. I think Kentucky is easily fourth in the SEC East. However, I do have Missouri ahead of them. The fact is, I kind of like Eli Drinkwitz. I think the Drinkwitz is kind of put a little bit of a stamp on the SEC since he's been here. Um, I think this team that scored some points a year ago, won some games at home, and Connor Bazelik is now an experienced quarterback. It's the kind of thing I think Missouri can use to its advantage. I always say this, recruits are the first to know what's going on with a program. And if you watch closely, recruits are responding pretty well to the Tigers right now. Not at the same level that a Georgia has or anything like that, but better than some in the SEC East or in the SEC across the board. Missouri, to me, a little bit of a team on the rise. Second in the SEC East, I have Florida. I don't like the Gators. I like being a Gator hater, and I like taunting Florida every chance that I get. But Florida has been underrated by some of the media over the course of the last couple of weeks. There is no metric to justify right now Florida not being a preseason top 25 team. They are 11th in ESPN's preseason FPI. They are 6th in Bud Elliott's blue chip ratio of former 4 and 5 star recruits on the roster. This is not a team devoid of talent. Now, are they as good as they were a year ago? Maybe not. But you could fall off that perch and still be a top 25 team. They are still at least some threat to Georgia, who you may have no surprise to find out. I have number one in the SEC East. This is as manageable a division as it's been for Georgia in quite some time. In 2017 and 2018, we saw Georgia win all of its games against SEC East competition, and it won them all by 14 or more points. It would certainly be nice if Georgia could reestablish that level of dominance in this division once again this year. If it can, it only sets it up for success in the games that really matter. The one played in December, for instance, the SEC championship, or maybe even beyond that. An easy path through a division, if Georgia can be good enough to establish that, is really a weapon that can be used. On the flip side of this, the SEC West. Now, I'll run through this pretty quickly. I think Mississippi State is terrible. You know I'm not a fan of Mike Leach. I have them the bottom of the division. I think that Ole Miss has been overrated by almost everybody. I have them six. They simply play no defense, and I'm not quite so sure the big offensive stats and a bad team is necessarily going to work its way out to the tune of a bunch of wins. I'll put both of the schools from the Magnolia State there at the bottom. I have Auburn fifth. The fact of the matter is I believe Auburn has more, more talent than Ole Miss or Mississippi State. It remains to be seen if Brian Harson can be a threat to the better teams in the uh, SEC West, but he's certainly won enough in his career at Boise State to be better than, I believe, the Rebels or the Bulldogs. I do have Arkansas fourth. This is a combination for me of a couple of things. It is Arkansas bringing back coordinators, especially Barry Odom, who got big offers to go take the job at Texas. For instance, Sam Pittman was able to hold on to him. That's good continuity year over year. The other thing that Arkansas has going for it, a lot of experience, not just seniors, but in some cases, super seniors. A little bit of a question at quarterback, and that needs to be decided, although Kendall Browse is a very good play caller. Ultimately, though, this is a deep, experienced team that played uh, ahead of schedule a year ago. I don't think Arkansas is going to quite come out from nowhere the way they did last year, but better than some of the teams in the SEC West, including those with a uh, first-year coach like Brian Harson and Auburn. Yeah, I can make that case. I think LSU's back in the top 25 this year. Not a legit threat to win the division, but one of those teams that's very, very tough 
tough to beat and, and frankly, a threat to some of the teams on the schedule, such as Florida maybe, for instance. That, to me, is good enough to be third in the SEC West. Texas A&M, who I, yes, admittedly have talked up a lot over the course of the offseason, and some of you even mocked me for it, I am not going to pick them to win the division this year. I'm going to put them second. That means Alabama, for me, obviously comes at number one. But let me say this about the Aggies here, and this is a lot based on what I saw this week at SEC Media Days. There is a lot that Jimbo Fisher said this week that reminded me greatly of some of the things that Ed Orgeron was saying prior to the 2018 season. When Orgeron did not shy away at SEC Media Days from talking about his belief that his team was closing the gap on Alabama. And Orgeron was laughed at for doing so. And in the 2018 season, that wasn't proven to be correct. Now, not only did LSU lose to Alabama, it was shut out there in that game. But you know what happened in 2019 on the road in Tuscaloosa. LSU won the game and eventually won the national championship. I see similar things happening here in College Station. I truly do see a program led by Fisher that it's on its way to being a real threat to Alabama and the SEC West and a legitimate national championship contender. It's the kind of thing that Georgia's still going to have to pay attention to. And as we move towards a expanded playoff, that's even going to be even more relevant as you start to compare yourself to other teams here in this league. That A&M, what it did a year ago, making a run that put them at the doorstep of being in the college football playoff, although ultimately not making it, what they did a year ago, um, I think is the precursor for what's still yet to come. But it's not quite going to happen in 2021. This is still Alabama's Division Four right now, but A&M is nipping on their heels within the next couple of years, maybe even as soon as 2022. I think it will be Texas A&M and not Alabama that's on top in the SEC West. But for this upcoming season, give me tied at number one. Give me Texas A&M at number two in the SEC West. Those are my division predictions. I'll make that your SEC throw. And as we get ready to wrap up the week here, I want to spend a couple of minutes on this. And this is one of those things where when you see the world kind of playing out around you, sometimes you're left to wonder, am I the one who's crazy? Am I the only one that that has kind of lost my mind here? Or is everybody around me acting completely bizarre? You saw the news the other day about – Alabama coach Nick Saban he's at the you know kind of touchdown club style event in Texas and he mentions the idea that his quarterback Bryce Young was on his way to earning seven figures in NIL money not saying he had the potential of doing that saying that he was doing that this was an explicit statement of fact from Nick Saban that the amount of money that Bryce Young was earning was approaching seven figures and I think for anybody who knows the first thing about college football or business you could immediately look at this and say this is obviously not true this is this is a complete and total exaggeration and yet so many of the reporters that covered this story just ran with it as if it was just the gospel truth without any verification of Saban's claim whatsoever And I just think that's completely bizarre and totally antithetical to what I'm assuming the job of some of these reporters is supposed to be. And I think maybe the worst example of this is Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports, who in a column this week at CBSSports.com essentially said that Saban was smart for lying about it. This is a crazy thing for a columnist to write. I want to show you a couple of sentences here. Uh, So here's what Dodd says. He says, you see, it doesn't even have to be true that Young is making $1 million in NIL money. In fact, three persons with a direct hand in developing NIL rights told me the figure probably was unlikely at this point. 
But, Dodd says, it sends the message that it's possible in Alabama. Actually, it sends the message that anything is possible. That's Dennis Dodd from CBSSports.com. So think about the way this narrative has been cast. Everybody obviously acknowledged that Saban said what he said in light of the recruiting wins that could come his way for having made the claim. My quarterback's making a million dollars. How much is your quarterback making? And everybody's like, oh, Saban's so smart from a recruiting standpoint. You know, he's getting out in front of this. And then certain people, such as myself, say, yeah, but it's not true. He's actually just lying. He's making this up. This is this is not a correct statement. It's not even a slight exaggeration. It's, to the best that I can tell, in terms of what's been tangibly reported here, it is completely erroneous. It's This is not common puffery. This is, this is a total fabrication. And you got, you know, respected voices like Dodd saying, yeah, that just shows you how smart Nick Saban is. Does anybody have any obligation whatsoever to try to find out what the truth is in this regard? And I know what this comes across as, because when I mentioned this on SEC Country Live the other day, people were like, well, B.A., you're just a Georgia fan. You're just you know crying over you know spilled milk here. And this is what I said back in response to that. You know, for the 2021 recruiting cycle, when Alabama was putting together not just the number one class, but maybe the greatest class of all time, in a time in which there were no visits, Alabama was leaning on its prestige. The national championships that it won, the the you know the number of first round picks that it had produced and what i said full acknowledgement as someone who doesn't like alabama you are forced to say in that particular case everything that alabama is saying is true and it's the job of schools like georgia or anybody else to fight back against that and to create your own narrative that's just as true but for now you can't you can't say alabama's lying when it says look at all the national championships we won because that really happened and you can't say alabama's lying when they say look at all the first round draft picks we produced that really happened so when Alabama's telling the truth, someone like me just sort of has to sit there and take it. But if Nick Saban explicitly lies as a way of getting folks' attention in the state of Texas, I'm sorry, someone like me is probably going to notice that. And final point, then I'll wrap up. This is not something that's necessarily like a victimless crime, and I use crime in air quotes here for a moment. I think when you hear stories as a player of some other player that's supposedly cashing in in such a huge way, when it's fairly obvious in the early weeks here of name, image, likeness, for the most part, this has been all sizzle, no steak. For the most part, other than a couple of A&M players getting you know, $10,000 or whatever it is they got, and a couple of Miami players getting six, or you know, the Miami players getting $6,000, for the most part, no one has gotten any real big money as of yet. And I'm sure that leads to a huge level of frustration on the part of a lot of players because they were told they were about to cash in. They were told they had been oppressed for far too long. And the moment this door was open for them, they were just going to walk in there and just start you know, taking money you know, hand over fist. It was going to be great. And when you hear these erroneous reports of Alabama quarterback making you know, seven figures, I think that leads a lot of players to wonder, well, why am I not, you know, why aren't I getting that kind of money? Well, you know, what's wrong with me or what's wrong with my circumstances that I'm not getting that kind of money? Which would be a fair question to ask if it were true. But the fact that it's not true ought to be noticed. And I think the um, folks who've covered the story have not done a good job in putting the real truth out there. And you can't help certain people such as myself not to notice that. So as we wrap up here today, I want to give you a couple of funny golden shoes. I, I got a couple of good ones. And sometimes at the end of the week, I like to kind of 
wrap up here with a couple of them. Michael D. said he ran into Felipe Franks. You see Franks there wearing a Padres jersey. And Michael says, when you meet a former Gators and Arkansas quarterback, and of course now with the Falcons, he says, you still got to rep the dogs. And yes, indeed, Michael is wearing his Georgia shirt standing next to a Frank uh, there. And you love to see that. And obviously we wish Felipe well now that he's here in Atlanta. He actually had a pretty good year last year for Arkansas. Also, our buddy Jermaine King gave you one that's great. He says, I found this old wrestling flyer at a flea market. He said, uh, he actually kind of creates this to make it look like an old wrestling flyer. You see Brandon B.A. Adams versus Darth uh, Dan Darth Vader Mullen. I'm happy that he gave me the Goldberg-style physique. Mullen got the uh, physique that probably looks a little more like mine does. It's a steel cage death match. That's good stuff from Jermaine King, another golden shoe winner for today. How about our Gator Hater Countdown? 99 days from now. Y'all have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. And on the podcast, time now for our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Uh, late breaking as we're recording this, I gave you my personal predictions for the SEC East and West a little earlier. Here are the official predictions as tabulated from the media at SEC Media Days. So Georgia is officially picked to win the SEC East. They get 124 first place votes. Florida just gets seven. Uh, after that, you get Kentucky at third, who did get two picks to win the division. Missouri at fourth, Tennessee fifth, South Carolina sixth, Vanderbilt seventh. That's the official predictions that just came out as I'm recording this late on a Friday morning. The official predictions from the SEC West. Alabama, as you would expect, for, uh, picked to finish first. They get 130 first place votes. Texas A&M just gets one vote to win the division. I'm actually a little bit surprised it wasn't more than that, although you heard me a little earlier also pick Alabama over A&M in the division. But I believe that A&M is a team on the rise. I truly do. Just maybe not quite in time for 2021. LSU third. They also got a pick to win the division. Ole Miss fourth. They got a pick to win the division as well. Something the Rebels have never done, by the way, win the SEC West. Auburn at fifth. Arkansas sixth. Mississippi State seventh. As far as the picks to win the SEC, Alabama was the lead dog in that pack there as well with 84 first place votes. Georgia comes in second with 45 picks to win the SEC here this year. If you're interested in how that compares to the last time there was an SEC media days in 2019, Georgia essentially got almost the same number of votes. Georgia got 49 of those in 2019 and got 45 of those here right now. The one big difference in the predictions from 2019 compared to right now is there were a lot more media at media days in the pre-pandemic world of 2019. For instance, Alabama got 203 picks to win the league back then, just 84 right now because there's just a lot less media there on the ground. So Georgia kind of finds itself essentially where it's been in the past, right there looking up to Alabama and obviously predicted anyway to win the SEC the SEC East I saw where uh my friend from 960 the ref Logan Booker was kind of remarking on Twitter that it kind of runs against the narrative of if Georgia were to finish second in the SEC again runner-up in the league after not maybe beating Alabama in the and then the SEC championship game that you know those who were saying oh why can't Georgia beat Alabama that the fact they were actually predicted at the beginning of the year to be second would mean they haven't underachieved there at that spot. And I understand where Logan's coming from on that, and anybody else who might say that, that it's a it's an exaggeration to, to say that Georgia would be an underachiever if it only finished the second in the SEC. But this is one of those moments in which if Georgia's ever going to make up that ground against Alabama, 
they have to find a way to do what's unexpected at some point in time. That if all you ever do is kind of what's expected from you from the preseason, what you're projected to do, that means a couple of guys on all conference teams finishing fifth best in the country, second best in the SEC, then only doing what you're projected to do is going to to lead you to only get what you've always gotten in the past. And at some point in time, George's going to have to kind of take a more dramatic leap and really step up and do what's unexpected. That's one of the things that defined the 2017 season was. It was success that, for the most part, was unexpected from Georgia. They weren't commonly picked to even win the division necessarily, but they won the the division, they won the SEC, they made the college football playoff, they almost won the national championship. It was a big, big step forward for Georgia there that year, and a similar step is going to have to be taken at some point in time for this program to take the next step, if you kind of get where I'm coming from with all of that. Let's get a, a couple more comments here as well. Philip, you writing in to the to Twitter to say that all I've heard from Georgia fans over the last four years, that if, if Oklahoma was in the SEC, they would get to the playoffs every year, that they would struggle playing an SEC schedule. He says, okay, so let's go. Let them find out. We're about to find out about all that, and that would certainly seem to be true that I do believe it's accurate to say that even a powerful program like Oklahoma having to play an SEC schedule week in and week out is going to provide some challenges. But I'm also not one of those kinds of people who, you know, is just vomiting propaganda at a nonstop clip that Oklahoma itself is not a tough out for any SEC team. They clearly are. They bludgeoned Florida in a bowl game a year ago. Yes, Florida was shorthanded, but the game still happened. Uh, and, you know, Georgia, the great win for Kirby Smart is the game against Oklahoma. I don't have to tell you that Oklahoma fought tooth and nail down to the wire in that game. And obviously they equated themselves pretty well all the way around. So, you know, nothing is quite as stark as sometimes folks want to make it be. Will it be hard for Oklahoma and the SEC? Will they lose more games than they're using, used to losing the Big 12? Of course they will. Are they a threat to beat any SEC team at any time? Of course, that's true there, too. So anyway, good stuff here today. Thanks for being here for R.S. Andrews Podcast Cool Down. Hope you have a great weekend. Check out R.S. Andrews online for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. And we'll see you back here Monday for Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. We will look forward to speaking to you then.